Lord, as we come to worship all around us, we're aware of pandemic. We're aware of politics. We feel pain. We need to hear your voice, your whisper, your assurance and hope. Give us a vision of Christ in his beauty and his authority. We ask this in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. I was not sure what I was going to see when I came here this morning. And uh, this gives whole new meaning to preaching to the choir because the only people who are here are the choir. So uh, I'm glad you're all paying attention. I understand there's a camera out there also so my wife can watch. It's great to be here. It's really an honor to be able to speak about missions at a church with such a great heritage and continuing commitment to creative and caring work in world mission. My wife Nancy and I have had a few very light connections with Park Street Church through the decades. Nancy and I taught a Bible study on Sunday mornings in Hamilton in the living room of a former pastor named Harold Ockengay. Harold and his wife would go out the back door after they turned on the hot water and put on the tea. We came in the front door and blessed each other as we went to worship. I've also worked at the two seminaries that Harold Ockengay helped to found, one on the West Coast and then now at Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary on the East Coast. So I've done a lot of study about his work and I'm honored to be a part of that heritage. Our family visited the mission site, now a historic landmark in Hawaii where the first missionaries from this church lived. It's where the evangelization of the Sandwich Islands be began. A mission that was one of the first supported by this church and amazingly successful in the sight of God. I almost got a B from another of your former pastors, Gordon Hugenberger, in my Hebrew class. The first class I had, I didn't know that all little jots and tittles mattered. I was just doing the consonants and I thought that was going to be enough and I found out, no, you had to have all the vowels and everything. Finally, I eked out an A-, minus, uh, less because of my fortitude, mostly because of his kindness, I think. But it's great to be here. I was sitting in the front pew, and I think we need to pay attention in this life. I saw up here on the wall the description of Lieutenant Henry A.C. French, who died in the Civil War at the Battle of Gettysburg on July 2nd, 1863. Because I'm a historian, that date is important for me because a Presbyterian missionary couple, Calvin Wilson Mateer and his wife Julia, were on a train that very day going across Pennsylvania. There's a very good chance they were in that region on July 2nd, 1863, as they were headed to Philadelphia and then New York to catch a ship to go to China. I've been reflecting on that. Why would somebody 27 years old in the middle of a civil war get on a ship to go to Shandong, China? Why would a lieutenant from Boston Church fight in the Civil War? You see, in the midst of all the political upheaval of civil wars and disease, because yes, in fact, Julia Matier got cholera on the ship. She lived another 30 years after that, but she was weakened in the rest of her life. She was never very healthy. The decisions that we make, God's mission was seen as an ultimate priority 
a preoccupation for the Matiers. Two lives intersect on the railroad going through Gettysburg. I have a more genuine connection with this church than just knowing a little bit about your history and the history of the Presbyterian Church, which is what the McTeers were. There's a more genuine connection that we all have together, and that's Jesus Christ. Jesus has brought us together today. He is our connection. You see, at the ripe old age of 16, which is how old I was, I went to a Bible study and a man asked me very clearly, what was preventing you, Scott Sunquist, from giving my life fully to Jesus Christ? I'd been reading a little bit about the Gospels and I realized that I wanted to follow Jesus Christ and so I did. And that made all the difference. That's why I'm here today, a half a century later. Yes, I'm very old. I became a new creation with a new identity and a new purpose and new values and a new pattern of living. I also began to see other people differently. Like most of you, I saw the world and my place in the world differently after I made that decision, or better yet, after I was called. This connection and this truth is what I would like to talk about this morning. Not seen with a worldly point of view, as Paul says. Not seen with a worldly point of view. But first, a story. I have three phrases which I use a lot. My wife hears it quite a bit. My students, my staff hear it quite a bit. And they help me through life. They kind of keep me focused. One of the phrases is, history is very important. There are two others which I may tell you later if you ask. As we reflect on God's mission this morning, I think it's important to put some of this in perspective with Christian, yea, verily, even missionary history. Missionaries, yes, they are people just like us, only more so. They love Jesus and they died to self. Often their extreme discipleship, because that's what it was, led to a short career. Some, let's admit it, some compromised their faith and let go of the understanding that they were really a new creation. They were just like us, like I said, but a little more so. They did not see people from a worldly point of view, and that's why they did what they did. My mentor in my studies and my doctoral program was the son of a pioneer missionary to Pyongyang in what is now North Korea. In the 1890s, Pyongyang was a corrupt, dirty, and disease-ridden city. I don't make that up. This is from reading missionary letters and history books. Recently, I've been thinking about when is a good time to choose to be a missionary? During the Civil War? During a pandemic? Recently, people have been asking me, as if I would know, when can we become involved in mission work again? Well, I don't understand this question, frankly, because it seems most missionary work in the world has occurred in less than ideal conditions. Quite often, in terrible conditions. My daughter and I, Caroline Becker, worked on a book for a period of about three or four years called The History of Presbyterian Missions, and the, the core of the book was interviewing missionaries who had served from after World War II up to about 2006. All of them were retired. Uh, they had worked, they were actually aged from about 70 or 72 to 99 and a half. 
That man lived to be 102, and he was thinking clearly at the age of 99. Whenever we would do these interviews, we'd have three to five in a room together, and they would discuss what it was like being a missionary in different parts. They would share, and one idea would fire off another idea that somebody else had. We felt like we should take off our shoes. It was holy ground as they would talk. I'll never forget one missionary. Uh, she said, well, we lived through four regional wars. And immediately I thought, after the first regional war, wouldn't you realize this is not working out? It's time to go? But they stayed. Another missionary couple said they lived in India during the time of the partition of Pakistan and India. The mission tried to get them to come back. Even the BBC sent out a team <laughs> to try to get them to leave. They stayed, and the integrity of the mission of Jesus Christ was upheld. You see, most missionaries in new regions are considered outsiders and disruptors of culture. They're seldom welcome. They're often mistreated. They suffer greatly from, often from disease, finding themselves caught in the midst of wars, from overt persecution at times. Remember, the theme we're looking at this morning is not seeing things from a worldly point of view, but with the eyes of Christ. Now, let me tell you the story about the arrival of the first missionaries in northern Korea. Was it a good time to come? Will you tell me? China was losing its influence, an influence of over 1,500 years in Korea. Russia was moving in, Japan was moving in, getting stronger, and both were expanding militarily. Korea was the battleground. It's been described as the shrimp caught between two whales. Corruption, to an extreme degree, caused the very poor and oppressed to form violent liberation movement known as the Tong Hawk Rebellion. Conflicts, filth, chaos, and then more battles with the Chinese and the Japanese. And it, this was what it was that welcomed Samuel Austin Moffat after he had walked 18 days from Seoul. He now arrived in this setting to set up a new home for a new mission station. Here's how he described the situation in August of 1895. Quote, I'd been gone from the city but a few days when the cholera broke out and swept the city. Poor, poor Pyongyang. The war, the Sino-Japanese, the major battle of Pyongyang was just 11 months earlier. The war had left her desolate enough, but now her condition reminds me of the prophecies of the destructions upon Nineveh and Babylon. Reports received last week from my teacher tell of the deserted city the dead bodies inside and outside the walls lying in the sun. Many of them have gone to mountain villages where most of them will probably be safe, but who knows? The last reports, however, say that while the scourge has ceased in the city, it is now spreading into the surrounding villages. The decaying bodies of the Chinese slain in battle last year, over 3,000 of them, not only interfered with our stay there this spring, but also filled me so full of malaria that I'm now in a condition which causes my friends to insist upon my taking a rest, and maybe they think I should go home to America on furlough. What troubles me, however, 
is that just now I'm not fitted to do battle against much hardship or against the unsanitary conditions into which Pyongyang has again been brought by the cholera. August 23rd, 1895. Why in the world would this bright and promising 30-year-old pastor move into such a region? He could have stayed in a relatively peaceful and certainly much more safe city of Seoul, but he did not see things with a worldly eye. He was not seeking his comfort. His eye was redeemed. His mind was renewed. His heart was broken, and his feet kept moving, moving to the people who had not yet heard. You see, there were already 10 missionaries in Seoul. He said, there's too many missionaries here. It's getting crowded. I should go somewhere else. So he was known as the walking up the road man. Moffat marched up to the city that was needy beyond his imagination. On his first trip two years earlier, this is how he described his new home. Pyongyang is a desperately wicked city, thoroughly given over to immorality. The things I have learned of it on this trip are simply horrible beyond description. If it becomes my privilege, as I hope it will, to see it changed under the preaching of the gospel, I shall be thankful indeed. June 1893. Did you hear that phrase? It just jumps out as a complete anomaly. If it becomes my privilege to see it changed under the preaching of the gospel, Paul said, so from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. I would like to suggest that we are treading on very sacred ground here. When you see others not as dirty, corrupt, mean, hopeless criminals, but as dearly and sweetly loved by Jesus, it will change everything. You can no longer dismiss or ignore anyone. Looking into the eye of that person who may want to kill you, or at least discredit you, and seeing the image of God longing to emerge, that is what happens, you know. When a person is in Christ, the precious image emerges in other people. We don't see them from an earthly point of view. Seen in this way will change your life, but seen in this way may cost you your life also. A missionary fully lives into the simple truth that really is a simple truth for all of us. We are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. An ambassador does not resist leaving home or the home country because the very essence of an ambassador is someone who leaves home to represent that home somewhere else. Our identity as people in Christ is that we are like Christ sent ones. We represent Christ, speaking the words of Christ, carrying the burdens of Christ, and the compassion of Christ for the world. It is my identity. It is your identity if you are in Christ. The Christian is missional or apostolic, both words that mean to go out, to throw out, to move out, to be propelled. So the Christian's apostolic through the very fact of their conversion. You see, anyone 
who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Jesus, who is the very missionary of God, is our life. The deeper we grow into Christ, the stronger should be our call to be ambassadors sent by Christ. I want to make a suggestion to everyone here today. It is not enough to meditate on being a new creation and on not seeing everything in a worldly way. That's a good start. We need to take on the struggle of putting off all the old person that would hold us down, hold us back, and live fully into Christ, to live into his sufferings, to live into his extravagant or prodigal love for the least of these, my friends, and thus to live into his deep joy also. Many of you know that Mother Teresa, before she had her 49 years of silence from God, had a year of very clear conversations with Jesus. Here is one of them where Jesus asked her to be his ambassador. My little one, come, come, carry me into the holes of the poor. Come, be my light. I cannot go alone. They don't know me, so they don't want me. You come, go amongst them, carry me with you unto them. How I long to enter into their holes, their dark, unhappy homes. Come, be their victim. In your immolation or sacrifice, in your love for me, they will see me and know me. They will want me. Offer more sacrifices. Smile more tenderly, pray more fervently, and all the difficulties will disappear. There is much more to this vision, but I want to suggest that this is one personal example of our passage today. Jesus asking Teresa to be an ambassador. 2 Corinthians 4.10 is where this comes from always carrying in the body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may be made visible in our bodies. That was Jesus' call to Teresa. I would suggest it's a call to all Christians. Most of us don't have a, such a clear vision or voice from Jesus Christ, but we can still work and pray to correct our vision, to have our vision redeemed, what do I mean by having our vision redeemed of the world? I believe too many of us are using worldly eyes. What, we, what does it mean for us to see the world with worldly eyes? We're looking down when we're asked to look up. We look down and see disease. We look down and we see politics. We look down and we see conspiracies and anger. We look down and we see alienation and division. These things are, they are all around us, it's true. But what do redeemed eyes see? As ambassadors for Christ taking on his vision, what do we see with the eyes of Jesus? Well, we look up and we still see fear and the Savior who is their hope. We look up and we see loneliness and we see the shepherd who is their companion. 
we look up and we see the wounds and the tears, and we see Jesus, who is the physician and the healer. We look up and we can see, we can even hear the moans of hopelessness, and Jesus, who is the king and ruler of all. He still reigns on high. And then, when we look at the face of Jesus, we can see both the tears and I would suggest a faint smile. Why the smile? Because you, I, we as the church have taken on his eyes and we respond to his call. Yes, here I am, send me. Send me to the least, the lost, the lonely, and the unloved. Let me be your light in the dark places, Jesus. This brings joy to Jesus. He smiles. I apologize that I'm not giving a nice, clear, outlined three-point sermon. That's the way I was taught at Gordon-Conwell Seminary. But I've been overwhelmed the past weeks thinking about pain and suffering in this world. I read the newspapers also. It is the pain and suffering of a pandemic, but it's also the ongoing pain and suffering of people without hope at all. So many who have not seen the face of Jesus, who don't know the hope of the world. How do we hold the pain of our present context and the pain of those without hope? When I was a student at Gordon-Conwell many, many decades ago, I remember discussions about reaching unreached people and places and plans were put in place to reach unreached peoples. I also remember hearing that, that soon, back in that time, over half the Christians in the world would be non-Western. The second truth happened. And now about two-thirds of the Christians in the world are not from the West. But still, there are so many people who have had no chance at all to hear about Jesus and the possibility of reconciliation and peace. Most Buddhists, most Muslims, most Hindus don't even know a Christian. The actual number is over 85% for all of these religions do not even know a Christian in their lives. How can this be? How can this still be the case? If we see this with a worldly view, we need not care. That's just the way it is. Looking with the eyes of Christ, however, I want to focus like a Mother Teresa or a Samuel Moffat on finding a way to go and send Christians to at least to be present with those without Christ. And so let's slowly move in the conclusion of this sermon to application and a challenge. Hold on. Here it goes. Let's start discussions about intentional vocational migration. It's another way of saying that we are ambassadors for Christ. It is still necessary, in fact, more than ever, for traditional missionaries to be sent out to unreached peoples in the world and around the block. However, the task of Christian mission will not be completed without more dramatic, creative, robust obedience to the Great Commission. 
One way of living into this ambassadorial reality is to think, pray, and consult with one another in your church, in your small group, about getting a job of some sort living among unreached peoples. I call it intentional, vocational migration. You see, from the very beginning, from the resurrection of Jesus Christ, there have been two ways the gospel has spread. It spreads through missionaries intentionally sent out by the church and supported by the church and prayed for by the church. But also, the gospel spreads around the world through migration. Now, as we know, people migrate for many reasons. I'm sure some people who are watching right now are migrants. <laughs> you came to the United States, or you came to Boston, in fact, as a migrant. Some migrate because of wars. Some migrate because of catastrophes, hurricanes, famine, earthquakes, disease. And some of you migrated because of education and jobs. But let's think of intentional Christian migration, not just accidental, intentional. Most any job that you're doing in the United States could be done elsewhere in the world. Many of the skills that we have can be ways of both serving and speaking in the name of Jesus. An occupation should not be our preoccupation. Our preoccupation should be with the new creation and our calling to be ambassadors. That should preoccupy us. Before we were called to teach or to be an architect or to be a police officer or to be a nurse or an organist, we were called to be an ambassador. Being preoccupied with this essential calling today should cause us to ask ourselves, how are we to be ambassadors to the least of these? A pandemic, a war, a downturn in the economy, nothing must stop or derail our identity as ambassadors, bringing the reconciliation of God. Those early missionaries to Korea landed in the midst of war, starvation, and a cholera epidemic. And they didn't say, oops, I guess it's the wrong time, I should go home. They stayed. And yet, in the midst of that terrible welcome that they had, Pyongyang became known as the Jerusalem of the East. It was so Christian, and Korea became the most Christian mission-sending country in all of Asia. Missionaries stayed while others left. Missionaries cared for the sick when others watched. When it came to the imperial oppression of Japan, Christians and Christian missionaries were seen as trusted and true Koreans. The church was planted at a terrible time from a worldly point of view, but from the view of the new creation with the eyes of Christ, it was just where Christ's ambassadors belonged. In fact, within 20 years, it became an independent Christian church, faster than any other mission field in the world. Living into this identity as ambassadors and seeing this creation with redeemed eyes does change everything our whole life long even in our last chapter of life. It should change everything every day. I have a friend who is a retired missionary living in a senior center. She's getting very frail as she's preparing to put off her worldly tent and accept her resurrection clothes. Her eyes are failing 
and she can no longer read. She has pain from arthritis, and then we can't visit her now because of the pandemic, so she's lonely. So we talk on the phone. I'll call her this afternoon, as a matter of fact. She prays for Nancy and me and for Christ's mission every single day. For the past few years, I've asked her what I can pray for for her. Her answer is always a little uncomfortable, a little bit awkward. She's more comfortable being a prayer than a prayed for her. Oh, she says, nothing really. I'm doing fine. But there's something I need. There are, there are so many people here at the home who don't know Jesus. Many have lived their lives against Jesus. Please pray that God might use me to help lead some of these people to Jesus. That's what you can pray for for me. Her preoccupation as a missionary has continued to be her preoccupation in her final years. My prayer is that we will look at God's world and our identity as ambassadors with redeemed eyes, with the eyes of Jesus. And then listen, maybe God is inviting you to be part of his intentional, vocational migration to those who most need a word from Christ's ambassadors. He has committed to us the message of reconciliation, even now, even during a pandemic. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen.